My name is Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Knowwood. If you're visiting, I just encourage you to fill out this wonderful card and just let us know. You might get a coffee out of it if you, uh, if you do that. Well, tea too. I, I always say coffee, but I actually don't drink coffee. Um, I only drink coffee in places where uh, there's no tea um, because that's how badly I need caffeine. Um, but that's, that's reality. But if you want to uh, get to know us a little bit or want a free drink, let's call it that way, a drink, um, then please uh, let us know that you're here and visiting with us. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, please open them to two passages. We're going to be looking in John chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2 as we talk about the things that we have been singing about, which is the Incarnation. There, John chapter 1 is on page 517 of that blue Bible in the chair in front of you, and Philippians 2 is on page 570 if you don't have a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible and you don't have one at home, I encourage you to take that one. We want you to have it. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Word of God is the most important thing for you, and we want you to read it. Start with John. Now you know where John is in that Bible. So start there and read to the end and learn about who our awesome God is and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you turn there, what does the presence of a good friend feel like when you are in hard times? I think that's a good question to think about, to feel about. You know, I've had that uh, experience myself. I, about three years ago, I was walking through a hard time my own, myself. I was in a pretty dark place. And I thank God for the friend that he has placed in my life who walked with me through those big doubts and those doubts. He was a good friend. He prayed with me. He reminded me of the gospel. He even slapped me across the head, metaphorically speaking, uh, reminding me of who God is and, and says, point your head, back, your eyes back to the one who saved you. I think so much for a friend like that who shakes me around a little bit and says, get your head back in the game. And he cheered me on. His presence was priceless to me. How about you? Have you ever experienced that ministry of a good friend's presence as they point your wandering heart back to Christ? And the presence, the ministry of presence is important. And it's such a refreshment to the soul. And last week, we looked at three promises, three prophecies of the, coming, of the coming of Jesus and what it means for us. But I want to take a look at, again, one of those promises found in Isaiah 7, verse 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does it mean? That his name is Emmanuel. What does it mean that God dwells with his people? We often go to that friend who walked with us during hard times, but how much more the very presence of God promised to us? And how does that affect us today? When we talk about Emmanuel, we're talking about something called the Incarnation. Incarnation comes from a Latin word, incarnar, which means to make flesh, the church has defined it as the act of God the Son who took to himself a human nature. So the incarnation means that the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, added to himself humanity. God the Son became the man, Jesus, and lived a perfect human 
life in our place. We sung two songs today that talked about this. So let's open up our Bibles and open your Bibles with me as we look at how Christmas reminds us of the promise of the incarnation and why that is so important for us today in 2023, almost 2024. Read a follow along with me in John 1, verses 1 to 14. The word of the Lord says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Keep your thumb there, flip over to Philippians 2. As the Apostle Paul writes his letter to the church in Philippi, he says this, Have this mind among yourselves, in verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how you have specifically revealed yourself to us in here. Lord, we seek to make much of you today, to continue to worship you in our listening, to be reminded of what this incarnation, God with us, God dwelt with us, really means for us today. So give us hearts, give us ears, give us minds to, to continue in this act of worship. And Lord, there's no way that I could possibly do this on my own, but yet I want to praise you, and I want to praise your name. So, Lord, will you not, by your Spirit, make this turn out well? So, God, by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name above all things. Lord, Lord may, we, may we decrease, may you increase today. May you bring joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. So the word became flesh is what we see in John 1, verses 1 to 14. And in John 1, we see the proclamation of what the incarnation is. The Bible clearly talks about this thing called the incarnation. It's a theological word. You can, we, if you go to a seminary or Bible college, it's one of the first things you learn about who Jesus is. 
but it's an important thing for us to understand. For Isaiah 7, we are promised of how God will dwell with this people, but how? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of this. As we were just reminded about what our kids are going to be learning about even today, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that he gave in the Old Testament. God desires to be with his people, and we see that from the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus. In Exodus 33, God says that he would dwell with his people, that if he did dwell with his people, he would wipe them out. I was thinking about that. Exodus 33 was part of my personal devotions, and I was like, he, God himself says, if I were to be with them right now, I would wipe them off the face of the planet. Why? Because he later says, because I am holy. So, there's a progress of redemption that is happening as God makes a way to dwell with his people. And John 1 gives us a clear idea of how Jesus is Emmanuel, how he is God with us, and how he fulfills that promise. In verses 1 to 5, Jesus, or John gives a very clear statement about who the Word is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word existed from eternity past with God. I had this question from one of my kids once. And I thought it was a great question. And I think it's a good thing to kind of think about. Well, if Jesus always existed, how was he born? I thought that was a pretty good question. Did Jesus always exist if he was born? And the answer is yes. And then you see their wheels start turning. Because this is a mystery. And the word was with God, as he says. Jesus is a distinct person within the Trinity, like Father and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. There's an interpersonal relationship that is happening here. He is not a form of God that is on this planet but the one who was there from the very beginning, as verse 2 says. He was in the beginning with God. The word was not created like you and me. We have a beginning and we have an end. But the word does not. And the word was God, meaning that the word is God because you can't stop being God. If you could stop being God, that pretty much means that you never were God, if you follow the logic. So by John using the word, that word, the word, yeah, to describe how the only way to be faithful to the law is to accept the word as who he says he is. The word is the embodiment of all God's revelation that we see in the Bible. The word was with God from the beginning, meaning he simply is and always was. He is God. Now, this is important because we believe in a triune God, and there is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet here is another example of how the word is God. And I know you're thinking, well, who is the word? We'll get there, because John answers that question. See, the word is God because when John uses the word, he takes that place that God holds in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the new year, we're hoping to go through Genesis, start going through Genesis, because, guys, it's going to take forever. Uh, but we're going to take breaks, don't worry. 
which reminds me we're also going to be purchasing some journaling Bibles if you want to take your notes and follow along with Scripture with us and dot those notes. You're always looking at your Bible going, there's never enough space for all of what Pastor Nate says. Uh, you know, this is a perfect example for you to get. But, we'll, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and Job proclaims right at the beginning that Jesus was and is God. And there are building blocks of an important doctrine of Trinity that we see here. So really to say this, to deny the Trinity to, is to deny God. The one true God consists of more than one person, and they relate to each other, and they have always existed, as John says very clearly here. That's why there is one God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There has been attacks on this doctrine, the very nature of Jesus from the very beginning of when Jesus walked around on this planet, even to this very day. In 300 AD, there was Arius. To this present day, we have Jehovah Witnesses who all say that God is a, that Jesus is a form of God, but not God himself. They counteract what, the God, what God's word truly says. These are heresies. It's against God's word. And to believe in that is not to believe in the Jesus that we see here. And to not believe in the Jesus that we see here is to deny your faith. And to deny the faith means that you're still in your sin and that you are faced with an incredible amount of judgment upon you. And may I add, one of my favorite stories of St. Nicholas revolves around Arius. Because in 300 AD, it is said that at the Council of Nicaea, that St. Nicholas slapped Arius across the face for holding this heresy. I'm not endorsing physical harm, but it's still one of my favorite stories. And parents, if you want to teach your kids about who truly Santa Claus is, I would start with some church history. But here we see this We should know our Bibles enough to stand against false teachings because God's word doesn't allow us to think this way about Jesus. He's not a God. He is God. Because, as verse 3 says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Creation is something only God can do. And because it is only something God can do, that means it belongs to him. The word is God because only God can create. And what did the word create? All things. The universe and everything that exists was created by the word. Meaning that the only thing that eternally existed is God, and the Word is God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And as Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. The, world wasn't, the Word wasn't created, but God the Father created all things through the activity of the Word. And in John 4, he continues on in verse 4, and John wants to be clear here. This word is God. It's like a series of redundant statements, and, and I think it's amazing because the, the Bible has these things all the time, which really is an example of how thick-headed we are. 
Um, it's like we're not getting it. Jesus says in John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son of also to have life in himself. So in him was life. In verse 5, there's a struggle we see between two forces, and those forces are, are belief and unbelief, light and darkness. But will anything overcome light? No. If you were to walk into a dark room to this very day with no windows, what happens when you shine a light in there? The darkness leaves. Nothing can defeat light. And the word is light, which means he's victorious. He is victorious. We move on to another description of someone in verses 6 to 8 who pointed to the light but wasn't the light. His name was John the Baptist. And as verse 9 to 14 comes, light, it tells us what this light does. The true light, meaning that the word truly and ultimately shows God to us humans. And as the word is the true light, there are true reactions to that light. I don't know if you've ever seen cockroaches. There's not really a lot of them in this country, usually. When I was, uh, I spent some time in Jordan, I saw some nasty-sized ones. They're like this huge. They're, they're huge. But when you turn the light on, they scurry like crazy. Or those centipedes, those ugly-looking things that are all in our basements. And especially when you're tearing out a wall or something, you see them. What is the first thing that they do? It's not like they run to the light. They run back to their dark hole where they belong. Because they're gross. Nothing can overcome the light. The word is the true light. And there are two reactions to this. Either one rejects it and runs away like the centipede thing. Because their deeds are being exposed. Or there's one who runs to the light because they know that the light is the thing that will give them life. Uh, how do you, have you received the light? Because you only receive it, as verse 12 says, through belief. It's through personally welcoming and trusting and submitting to the word. And what is the outcome? He gave the right to become children of God. And even though... Sorry, and even though the word is the only son of God, the, one who, the ones who repent and believe become children of God. And then John 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And this is the incarnation. God with us, dwelt amongst us. And as John clearly says, who is the word? It is the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And this is amazing to me because the word who has always been, who created all things, added to himself frail humanity, as the song says, with flesh and blood like you and like me, which means he knows what it's like to stump your toe on the corner of the bed all the way to dying the most agonizing death you can ever experience. 
And even though God became man, Jesus never stopped being God. He came to us as one who is greater than Moses to bring a greater exodus because he dwelt amongst us. God dwelt amongst us. He, he pitched his tent among his people. His desires had been fulfilled through Jesus Christ to be with his people, to dwell amongst them. And he is full of grace. He is boundless in glory and love and fullness of God. And he has become a reality for you and for me in Christ. Jesus is God made flesh who makes all the invisible attributes of God known to us. You want to know who God the Father is like? Look at God the Son. And I love how you get this right to become children of God through this belief. This isn't some sort of like maybe you might get it situation. Through belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you get the sure sense, the sureness of being with God. What a beautiful thing. The one who created all things, who is light and life, who through belief in him gave the right to become children of God, has come to dwell among his people. So I look at this passage, and Christmas reminds us of the incarnation, the Son of God, who was born, yet always preexisted. God, Jesus is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who took on human nature without taking away from himself any of his divine attributes. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 2 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amens to God for his glory. Meaning that when we, when we dwell upon this idea that, of the incarnation, that Jesus dwells with his people, Jesus is the yes and the amen. Jesus is the fulfillment of the things that we see in the Old Testament. And this is important as we reflect upon this Christmas season. Because if Jesus isn't God, he is unable to free us from the sin that we are damned with. If he is also not human, that means he's not a representative, representative of us either. The incarnation did happen in a specific period of time, but it was a plan from eternity past as God's work to save his people for himself. And this is a mystery about this. I remember teaching uh, some youth about this many years ago. I can say that now. It's weird. <laughs> it's probably like 20 years ago. And I remember talking to them about this. And this is actually called the hypostatic union, the incarnation, God and man, 100% God, 100% man. And, they, and they're all these math type people. And they're going, well, you can't do 100 and 100. That makes no sense. That makes 200%. I'm like, I'm not talking, no, 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 it's 100 and 100 and it makes 100. And their wheels are going like this. I'm like, no. It's a beautiful mystery. So maybe we can't fully get our minds around what is happening in John 1 and with the incarnation and what it is, but this I do know. That when we reflect on how Jesus Christ, who spoke into being all things, was born as a baby, I see God's infinite love and grace for his people. We didn't, he didn't leave his people alone in our sin. He was born to enter into this messed up, this broken, this misery of a fallen world. And dwelt with us. And the thing that 
blows my mind is that he didn't have to do any of that. We're the ones that sinned. We're the ones that racked up the debt that we could not pay. If you rack up a debt, who has to pay the debt? We all have credit cards, student loans, mortgages, you know, go through the list. All of them. We pay that. It's not like you can go to mom and dad and say, hey, dad, can you pay my credit card bill for me? If you can, God bless you guys. <laughs> can I pass this along too? <laughs> we pay for that. Our sin, we pay for that. But God adds to himself humanity to mount the greatest rescue of all for all who repent and believe and rescue them from eternal damnation. How can that not bring an amazing amount of thanksgiving and praise for him for all eternity? Especially during this Christmas season as we reflect upon the promise of the incarnation and embrace these things. Christmas reminds us that the promise of the incarnation doesn't end with a birth, though, but with a death. Because Jesus, because in Jesus' incarnation, he was being obedient, as we see in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. In verses 6 to 11 of Philippians 2, it's something called the Christ hymn. Paul is taking parts of Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 52 and 53, and he's sewing them together <coughs> to make this beautiful quilt. Let's call it that. And he carefully brings these together as he talks about the incarnation and applies it to the life of the Christian. So that's why in verse 5 he comes, he says, have this mind amongst yourselves. Meaning he's going to use the incarnation as evidence for how the Christian is to live. Right? And he uses this argument. If, it, if Christ, if God, the creator of all things, was not so proudful, prideful, that he didn't hold this against him, he didn't hold this on, his divinity, he didn't hold on to it, but gave himself up for us, we should do the same. So every time we grumble or complain or, yeah, grumble, complain, Paul says, look to Jesus and suck it up. Remember what he has done for you when you were undeserving of it. But we're going to focus, that's another sermon, we're going to focus on six. Because in this Christ himself, we see the very character of God. In verse six it says, though he was in the form of God. Meaning that before we even talk about what has happened to Jesus, we see that he is God. And the next verses are about what Jesus didn't do. He, he, he says equality with God. Even though Jesus was equal with God, and this is confusing to us, right? Because... Well, Jesus is God, he's equal with God, but yet he's obedient to God, which means that he's submissive, so how does that work? Well, it's the same sort of relationship as, let's say, the authority within any other relationship, like a child submitting to their parents. Children and parents are equal, but there's still an authority there. So Jesus is equal with the Father, even though Jesus submits to the Father. So the equality was not something that would cause him to hold on to his privilege. He didn't keep this as something to hold on to for his own benefit. What Jesus does by adding to himself humanity is making others more significant than himself. Do you see the heart of God? 
And verse 6 talks about what Jesus didn't do, but verse 7 and 8 talk about what he did do. So if Jesus didn't exploit his status, what did he do? First, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Emptied means he, he divested his privilege. He didn't subtract his deity, but added to himself humanity. And we saw that again, right? we got to go back to John 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was the Sorry, he was in the beginning with God. I once had a youth who used to rap. I was like, you got to do a rap to this. She didn't. He became an ordinary Jewish baby who was bound for the cross. Have you ever looked, like, I love this. Like, have you ever looked at this and truly thought about this? I don't know if this was on purpose because it wasn't me who did this. But think about this, right? We have the cross and then we have a manger. It's a beautiful picture, a beautiful reminder for us every day during Advent season, during the Christmas season, that Jesus was born of a baby. But that's not where it ended. It ended when he went to the cross and he took upon, our, our, uh, he took upon himself our sin, our debt, paying it, bearing the full weight of the wrath of God upon himself. That's what that word propitiation means in, in the Bible. God, he, he absorbed, he, he took on God's wrath upon himself. And Jesus had every right to stay in heaven and just say to us, good luck, have fun. But he doesn't leave us alone. Because we are the ones that sin, but he is the one who, who will bear the full weight of the punishment to everyone who repents and believe because of who he is. He didn't think it was appropriate to exploit who he is as equal with God. And he didn't leave us in our mess, but came into our mess to rescue us from our mess. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, as 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, yet for my sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Jesus emptied himself, not giving up his divinity, but becoming human. He clothed himself in real humanity the second thing that Jesus does is in verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Obedient to the point of death. Jesus was obedient in every single way that we weren't and can't be. Romans 5, 19, so for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And as our mediator, he did what he did, not what we did, could not do. He was obedient. And in that obedience, Jesus dies a death that was in our place. He took the penalty for our sin. And this wasn't a death that was easy as as. Paul says it was even death on a cross. And if you were in that Roman, Greco-Roman culture, you knew what that meant. The Roman crucifixion was the most cruel and disgusting way to die. 
It could be argued that there was no worse way to die. The creator of the universe humiliated himself by being nailed on a cross, hanging there naked to pay the price for my sin and yours. You see how important the incarnation is? Being in very nature God was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it at all. For what purpose? Why did Jesus do this? Because the incarnation reminds us that Jesus died because he was the only sinless human who ever lived, making him a representative who can pay the price for our sin, for humanity's sin. But also he is God, making him able to pay the price and to bear the full wrath of God. He is our propitiation. In other words, we have all intentionally sinned, and every person who dies will receive the punishment for a sin. But Jesus never sinned, so he could stand as our righteous representative. And he willingly took on himself all the punishment that we deserve, so that all who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior will be saved, would be free. When God created humanity, he also gave a command in Genesis 2. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Obvious question. Did that happen? The answer is no. We're all wearing clothes right now. We're all struggling with sin in some way. We all die. And that's what has happened. Our ancestors disobeyed, and at that moment, a relationship between God and humanity was shattered because just like in a sports team, if one person gets a penalty, the whole team is penalized. And that sin has permeated into every part of our humanity. Because of our sin, we are deserving of death. But it doesn't end there. The incarnation shows us that God himself provides a way when there is no way. He added to himself humanity to live a perfect sinless life in our place. And he dies in our place so that if anyone repents and believes, we'll have eternal life. Christ emptied himself because we needed to be rescued. Do you believe this? If not, let me warn you of this. To reject Jesus as Lord is to reject what he offers in dying on the cross. To not humble yourself and submit to the lordship of Jesus is to bear the full, unbearable weight of God's wrath that Jesus bears on our behalf on the cross. Remember that Christmas is a reminder of the promise of the incarnation. And the incarnation tells us of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And just as sure as Jesus came, and Pastor Chris prayed this in his prayer this morning, just as sure as Jesus came as a baby, he is coming back. For those of us who are in Christ, that is hope. For those of you who are not in Christ and continue to reject Christ, 
as Lord and Savior, this is a warning. Don't leave this place without making yourself right before God. And the only way that that can happen is through repentance and belief. What an amazing reminder for us of the joy of what we have in Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The question is, will you do this with joy or with mourning? So what you may ask, what does it mean that his name is Emmanuel? What does it mean that God dwells with his people? How is this possible? What does it remind us to embrace the promise of the incarnation fulfilled in Christ? Christmas reminds us of how the incarnate Son of God knows what it's like to be human and shows how he is willing to bear all the punishment that you deserve. And that's why we need to understand the incarnation and why it's important because it helps us to see the answer to the question. Joel Beakey says it so well. The promise of God's gracious presence centers upon the incarnate Lord Jesus as the only mediator of divine grace. The word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I think there's two things that come out of this. One is theological, the other is personal. And they're all tied together, so you can't separate them. Jesus had to be both human and God in order to pay the price for our sin and represent his people before a holy God. He is our mediator. He is our high priest. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. David Matthews of Desiring God says it this way. He became frail human flesh and blood to save us from our sin and to free us to marvel at and enjoy the union of divinity and humanity in his one spectacular person. He is God with us. So just like the presence of a good friend during a hard time who comforts us, who hugs us, who cheers us on, who rebukes us if need be, how much more does the fact that God dwells with his people bring us, brothers and sisters? Christmas should bring us so much joy and happiness and peace. Because it reminds us of these very important things. You know, Dave, Dave, my brother Dave, read from Matthew 28. But I think sometimes we miss, we go right to the command and miss the promise at the end. And I, and behold, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Which leads us to that more personal reason. Not only did Jesus become Emmanuel, God with us, but Jesus is a testimony that God is also unswervingly for us. Think of what God did to save his people, to save all those who repent and believe. It's through the incarnation that we know we serve a God who gets our circumstances. Because he, just like us, was flesh and blood. You want to know what it's like to lose someone? He knows. You want to know what it's like to be stabbed in the back? He definitely knows. You want to know what it's like to skin your knee? He knows. You want to know what it's like to serve people that don't care about you and hate you? He knows. 
It's through the incarnation that we have com a compassionate advocate that understands our weakness because he was tempted and tried as we were, but he remains sinless. It's through the incarnation that we know that the work of Christ didn't end at being born, but dying on the cross so that all those who repent and believe will have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. In the incarnation, we see the love of God for us. In the incarnation, we see how Jesus conquered death and offering us, brothers and sisters, an assurance of eternal life. It's in the incarnation that we are reminded of God's faithfulness in keeping his promise. And that gives us hope that if God has always kept his promises, he will continue to keep his promise. So the incarnation is important. And Christmas reminds us of how the incarnate Son of God knows what it's like to be human and shows us how he is willing to bear all the punishment you deserve. We're going to close with a new song today. The lyrics go like this. Unto us from on high, reaching down into the deepest nights, to the world hope has, to the world hope has come. In the dark, the light of life has dawned. What a mystery. Oh, what love. Oh, how can it be that even heaven has come to us? Unto us, meek and mild, God eternal, born a helpless child, set aside heaven's throne, veiled in weakness, came unto his own. Unto us, grace has come, here to seek and bring the sinner home, lived to die, rose to reign, the Son of Man, the Lamb for sinners slain. What a great testimony. What a mystery. Oh, what love with an awe-filled questions. How can it be that heaven has come to us? Let us reflect upon that this week. Christmas reminds us of how the incarnate God, son of, sorry, the incarnate Son of God knows what it's like to be human and shows us how he is willing to bear all the punishment you and I deserve. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for this time to continue to worship you and to make much of you. Lord, I pray that this week we would just dwell more and more on this fact as we look at mangers throughout the store or in our own home in a nativity scene, that the God who created the universe added to himself humanity to die on a cross for our sins so that all those who repent and believe will have life. I pray that that would bring a joy an unmeasurable, un, uh, just a, an overflowing amount of joy this week as we dwell upon these things. And may that push us out during this Christmas season to make much of you as we seek to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ because you promise that you will be with us wherever we go. Amen.